You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Wednesday show for you. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA All-Star Game, and I mention that because I know it's far away, but Commissioner Adam Silver talked about it recently, and I have some thoughts on the things that he said. Also going to talk to you a little bit more about college basketball. Your college football playoff rankings are out. Nothing's changed in your top four, actually in your top six. And then I've got some NFL notes for you to go over. So we will get to all that momentarily. So NBA Commissioner Adam Silver spoke with ESPN's Andscape and was talking about the NBA All-Star Game this year. And Chris Paul had a conversation with Adam Silver. And Chris Paul basically, because everyone's been complaining, I talk about it all every year, about how to, what a joke the All-Star Game is for the NBA. It's a glorified scrimmage, and it's not even that. It's just a layup line, and nobody cares about it. They've already changed the format. Remember how last year it's like, oh, we'll take captains, they're going to pick teams, they're going to make a whole show out of it, and then in the fourth quarter we're going to use Elam's ending and all that stuff. That's all gone. We're going back to Western Conference versus Eastern Conference. That's it. Regular game. But Adam Silver got input from Chris Paul, who told him, quote, you guys tell us how important the All-Star game is, but then you change all our pregame protocols so that we don't go through our typical routines as we would before a game because you have these elaborate introductions. No complaint about the introductions. We understand why you do it, but then you expect us to go out and be in the mindset that we're playing a typical basketball game, end quote. That makes sense to me. I've never really thought about it that way because I was always like, when did the All-Star game evolve to these guys trying to it not trying? And that makes sense because back in the days, you know, in the 80s when Bird and Magic and Jordan were playing against each other in the All-Star Games, it was competitive. But it wasn't like lights and laser shows and some carnival barker screaming into the microphone introducing the players. It was just a game that these guys cared to win. So Silver then responded and said, I'll take responsibility for that. We're sending mixed signals. If we want guys to treat this like a real game, and again, This is not about finals intensity. It's just a fun game. But if we want players to treat it that way, we have to treat it that way. And so it means that the introduction is going to have to be a little bit shorter and halftime is going to have a little bit more typical, a little bit more typical starting in Indianapolis, which is where the game is this year. So with all that said, I understand where Chris Paul is coming from, but I think that it's changed so much over the years that For four quarters, yes, you're not going to get finals intensity, but I also don't think you're going to get much resistance on the defensive end until the last six minutes of the game. I just, I don't think there's anything the NBA can do to change what this product is going to be. I really don't. You can throw money in their face. They don't care. They already make enough money as it is. It's just, this isn't the 80s anymore. These athletes grew up differently. They watched the game differently from when they were kids. There's no incentive for them to bust their ass in an all-star game. There's none. You know, yes, you can get injured at any point in any game, whether you're trying hard or you're just, you know, defensive sliding down the court and you plant wrong, your knee could give out. So it's not like they don't want to get injured because usually when you play not to get injured is when you injure yourself. But I just, as much as I respect Chris Paul and that answer, and it does make sense to me, it's like, 
yeah, you guys want us to play hard, yet you're you're dulling up this game like this isn't the this isn't a normal game. So I understand that part. I just don't see why they would all of a sudden be like, all right, you shortened the introductions, you shortened halftime, everything's not such a spectacle, we're going to bust our ass. Not NBA Finals intensity, but we're going to try. You wait. When the All-Star Game rolls around this year in Indianapolis in February, you tell me if quarters one through three and a half are any different than the past seasons. I, I really don't think it's going to be. And I'm talking about just off maybe they're not just literally throwing the ball off the glass and dunking and shooting 40 footers and but I'm talking about when a team's on offense in the all-star game if a guy comes and sets a pick there's not going to be a lot of communication of how are we going to fend this pick and roll up top 35 feet away from the basket what are we going to do to Steph we're going to make him go right we're going to make him go left are we going to funnel everything to the baseline they're not going to talk about that stuff it's just going to be an open scrimmage and everyone's screwing around again I just don't think this is changing ever. As much as they want it to, I I have a feeling that even after this meeting between Adam Silver and Chris Paul, we're probably going to see much of the same come All-Star Game in February of this year. Next year, excuse me. So a little more college basketball. Yesterday I told you about the gambling aspect of it, and I told you that there is an opportunity to have an advantage early on in the season because Vegas just can't put out tight numbers on 360 teams when so many teams have so many new players and they've never even watched them play together. So until there's 5, 10, 15 games under these teams' belt, which is basically 15 games is roughly what you play before conference play starts, maybe it's 12 to 13, but you get what I'm saying. Vegas is just putting out a number that's, okay, well, this is what we think they're going to do, this is what we think they're going to average and whatever, but it's just like, okay, but Arizona dropped – 120 points on Morgan State the other night. You couldn't have predicted that. So that was the gambling aspect of it. Here's two things that I read about college basketball to keep in mind. One is about a conference and one is about the overall defending champion. I've always made fun of the Big Ten, and rightfully so. Big Ten basketball usually puts between seven and nine teams in the tournament every year, and ultimately they just usually don't do well. The Big Ten has collected 26 NCAA tournament bids the last three years. That's basically eight and a half teams get in on average per year from the Big Ten. Do you know how many teams have made the Final Four the last three years from the Big Ten? Out of those 26, zero. And it's crazy to think of because 10 of those top 26 teams were top four seeds in their region. I... I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the water in the Big Ten or what, but that's pretty embarrassing. 26 entries in the last three years in the tournament. You can't get one team to the Final Four, and 10 of those 26 were top four seeds. That's, I mean, come on, Big Ten, get your act together. But as a gambler, do I love hearing statistics like that? You bet your ass. Because I will be on the lookout for every Big Ten team that's making it to the tournament in 2024, and I will be betting against them. Not every single one of them, but if it's a Big Ten team that has a chance to go to the Final Four, I'm probably going to bet against them. The numbers are speaking way too loud to me. 26 entrants in three years, not one Final Four team out of the Big Ten. What about defending national champions? How have they done in the season after 
This was a shocking statistic to me. Do you realize that Duke's 2015 and 2016 squad was the last defending national champion to reach the second weekend in the next NCAA tournament? Think about that. We're in 20... This season was 2023-2024. That means the last... Essentially, there was no tournament in 2020 because of COVID. But so the last, what, 2016, 2017, 18, 19, 21, and 22. The last six national champions the following year couldn't even get to the second weekend, meaning they didn't even win two games. I mean, two years ago, well, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking about something else. But, I mean, that's pretty big. UConn looked great in their opener. Granted, they didn't play anybody, so I'm not going to put too much stock into them. I'm not going to jump down UConn's throat after one game. But it's something you got to keep in mind come the tournament this year when it hasn't happened in the last six years that the defending champion doesn't even get to the Sweet 16 the following year. Interesting. I did not know that, and that is very surprising to hear. You just, uh, when do you ever hear that? <laughs> like, I, if you would have asked me that, I'd been like, gosh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's the case. I know there are certain teams every year, the Tennessees, the Virginias, that completely bomb in the tournament. You know what other stat that I heard that I was really surprised about? And look, he's probably the biggest story in college basketball this year because the fan base has pretty much had enough of his lack of success in the tournament. I did not realize that John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats have not been to the Final Four in 10 years. Remember, he was going every year. He was bringing in four or five five-star recruits every year. It was basically starting and playing. His team was loaded with freshmen, and they were just getting the Final Four every year. He had that one team that went undefeated but lost in the semifinals to Wisconsin. He hasn't made a Final Four in 10 years. That was surprising to me. And I think if he doesn't win a national championship this year or at least get to the Final Four, there's a good chance Calipari is moving on. I think that there's already rumblings that Scott Drew is going to be the next head coach of Kentucky at some point, the head coach of Baylor. Uh, seemingly, those are the rumblings that I've heard. I've, re- I've read about them. I've heard about that in podcasts. So keep an eye out for that. But uh, Calipari, that, the Kentucky fan base not making a Final Four in 10 years, uh, that's not sitting well with them. Whether or not he resigns on his own or it's one of these mutual things where it's like, look, we don't want to fire you, so we'll let you leave on your own accord. But if they don't make a Final Four this year, I think he's gone. Okay, let's talk a little college football. As your rankings were delivered last night for the college football playoff, your top six, actually, I believe your top eight remain the same, right? Ohio State's number one, Georgia's two, Michigan's three, Florida State's four, Washington and Oregon are five, six. Texas is seven, Alabama is eight, Ole Miss is nine. Ole Miss plays Georgia this week, so either Georgia's dropping out of the top four or Ole Miss is dropping out of the top ten. But this is the latest we've ever been into the season in the college football playoff era where they only take four teams. It's the latest we've been into the season where we've had this many undefeated teams. There's five. The top five rankings are all undefeated. But we know that Ohio State plays Michigan. That's one versus three. Michigan could lose this weekend to Penn State. James Franklin and Penn State have a horrible record against ranked teams, especially top ten teams. I don't expect them to beat Michigan, but 
you know, anything can happen. They are at home. There's going to be a whiteout. It's going to be a big deal in Happy Valley, but they're not as good as Michigan. I'd be surprised if Michigan lost to Penn State. But assuming Michigan gets by Penn State, we all know Ohio State plays Michigan at the end of the year. So one of those teams is probably dropping out of the top four, especially if Washington stays undefeated and Ohio and Georgia and Florida State stay undefeated. Uh, that's going to be your final four. Like there's not even going to be much of a debate of anything. It's going to be the Ohio State Michigan winner, Georgia if they remain undefeated, Florida State if they remain undefeated, and Washington if they remain undefeated. Because if you only have four undefeated teams in all of college football and you're only taking four teams in the playoff, seems to reason those are going to be your four teams. They're not going to take a one-loss SEC champion if it happens to be Alabama. You know, it's just not going to happen. Well, I'm saying that Georgia's undefeated. So, But it doesn't always work out that way. It's very easy to sit here nine weeks into the season with five undefeated teams left and be like, yeah, that's the way it's going to play out. I don't know. But that's looking the way. If any if any one of them drops, then we start having a debate because we know Ohio State or Michigan is losing. And then if Georgia gets beat before the SEC championship game or it gets beat in the SEC championship game or Florida State gets beat in the ACC championship or Washington drops a game, look, Washington is very suspect. Great offense, not a great defense. They can lose a game before the end of the year, which then means does Oregon get there above them? It's possible. Um, does Alabama make it in as a, what if they run the table? What if they run the table and beat Georgia in the SEC championship and they are a 12 and one SEC champion? Do they get in over Georgia? Does Georgia get in along with them? I think a lot would determine on what else is happening in those top four. I mean, look, if you've got, what if you have three undefeateds in the Ohio state, Michigan winner, uh, you've got, and let's say Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship. Florida State is undefeated, and let's say Washington is undefeated. Then you've got three undefeateds, Florida State, Washington, and the Ohio State winner. Who do you take as your one-loss team? A one-loss SEC Alabama champion? A possible one-loss Texas champion? Texas beat Alabama. What if Texas runs the table and they finish 12-1 and and win the Big 12, and Alabama finishes 12-1 and and they win the SEC. Alabama will have beaten the two-time defending national champion, but head-to-head, Texas won in Alabama this year. That's a tough call. I know that there's already some pundits on TV last night during the college football announcement show that are basically laying the groundwork for if Alabama goes 12-1 and and beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, they deserve to be in. And you know what? They might be right. I know Texas beat them, but it's almost like been a reversal. Texas was playing great football in the first half of the season where Alabama was finding its footing. Remember that game against USF where they struggled to beat that team? Now they're blowing teams out. Whereas, like I said, Alabama struggled in the beginning, playing well at the end. Texas played well in the beginning. They had to escape against Houston. They had to escape against Kansas State. They're at TCU this week, who isn't even any good. If they struggle with them, it's going to be another, okay, well, they won, but they didn't look good doing it. Style points are big when it comes to college football rankings, and right now Texas doesn't have the style points. Yes, they have the head-to-head matchup against Alabama. That was week two. I'm sorry. I think if Alabama runs the table from here and beats Georgia in the SEC championship, they're in, unless there's four undefeated teams. But that wouldn't be the case because – 
We already know Ohio State and Michigan, one of those teams is losing, and if Alabama beats Georgia, Georgia would have a loss. So the only undefeated teams at that point could be Ohio State and or uh, Ohio State or Michigan, Florida State and Washington. There can only be 3. We can't have 4 if Alabama beats Georgia. So it's going to be an interesting run towards the end of the season, but I just keep all that in mind as we head down the home stretch. All right, some NFL notes for you. And a lot is about the games this weekend. As you know, we've played 136 games in the NFL this year. The unders are hitting at 62%. They're 84-51-1 through 136 games. There's only been one week all season where there were more overs in all the games played that week than unders. So, you know, I've already told you about the Sunday night football and Monday night football uh, numbers there. Uh, through 20 we- twenty games on Sunday night and Monday night football this year, nine on Sunday night, 11 on Monday night, 18 of them have gone under. Like primetime unders are just absolutely destroying this season. They're 22-7 and seven overall. Like uh, under, I mean, uh, out of the 29 games, if you include Thursday night, 22-7. and seven. It's just an under barrage. We talked about it yesterday with possible the reasons the fact that 10 rookie quarterbacks have played this year. The New York Giants announced that Tommy DeVito will be their starting quarterback for the rest of this season, assuming he doesn't get hurt. That's why they are 16-point underdogs at the Dallas Cowboys this week. It's just, uh, you know, not that – I wouldn't say there's great games this week in the NFL. San Francisco at Jacksonville is a good game. But I don't – and the Lions at Chargers on Sunday afternoon – I'd say is a, is a good game. Nothing else is. <laughs> I mean, I, there might be some low lines, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, I was looking at the Indianapolis Colts Patriots game, the one that's being played uh, in Germany. That's another. It's our final European game this year. Sunday morning, Colts Patriots in Germany. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is. What's the number here? Uh, Gardner Minshew is three and eleven against the spread as a starting quarterback. Mac Jones is 4 and 15 against the spread as an underdog and they are one and a half point underdogs to the Colts. I know you want to wake up early and watch football on Sunday. You can skip Colts Patriots. Nobody cares about that. Nobody's betting it. Here's the line that scares me the most this week and that's the Ravens laying 6 at home against the Browns. The Ravens' last two home games, they won 38-6 against Detroit and 37-3 against Seattle. Yes, they were both non-divisional opponents. They were non-conference opponents, teams that they don't play very often, but they dominated them. They won by 30 points, 32 points and 34 points, respectively. Now they're at home against a divisional foe, and they're minus six? God, that line scares the shit out of me because why aren't the Ravens why aren't the Ravens eight or nine point favorites? Just because people are going to I you know look at those 32 and 34 point wins. Not to mention the Ravens beat the Browns this year already 28 to 3 in Cleveland. Now they're coming home and they're six point favorites. I do understand the game against Cleveland, that was the one where we didn't find out until after I gave my pick on Friday that Deshaun Watson wasn't playing. And they started uh, the guy from the XFL. I already forgot who it was. And they lost 28-3. And it's like, okay. 
Now, they got Deshaun Watson back, but has Deshaun Watson been any good this year? Their defense has carried them, and I guess that's why the line is so low. They just assume this is two defensive teams, Browns and Ravens. The total is 37.5. That reflects the fact that they think it's going to be low scoring with a line of six. I, I don't know. Really scares me. Bengals-Texans would be a good game. I think that's another good one that's halfway decent because the Texans are better than we thought. They're 4-4, four and four, and C.J. Stroud just set the record for the best ever single NFL game by a rookie quarterback, 470 yards and five touchdowns against Tampa Bay on Sunday. But now they're stepping up and going to play the Bengals. Saints-Vikings, you know, whatever. Packers-Steelers, whatever. Titans-Bucks. Falcons-Cardinals is only interesting because Kyler Murray is getting this first start in close to a year since he blew out his knee. Lions-Chargers, good game. Giants-Cowboys is a hot mess. Commander-Seahawks, not really interested. Jets-Raiders is your Sunday night game. Ugh. And then Broncos-Bills on Monday night. I, I mean, just not a lot of marquee matchups this week. But, yeah, that uh, – that Ravens game, I mean, at, at six, you just know that's going to be the number one teased game all week. It's just the Ravens just have to beat the Browns at home. Just win the game because you tease that down using any sort of teaser. Six, six and a half, seven, or put them in a three-team ten-point tease. All you're saying is the Ravens just need to win a home game against the Browns. And their last two home games, they've won by 32 and 34 points. When it looks that easy, it usually isn't. But you could have said that after... They beat the Lions, and then they came back, and they were, what, against Seattle? Six, six-and-a-half line against Seattle this past Sunday? And I had Seattle as my underdog play because I was like, why isn't this line higher? This isn't making any sense to me. They just won their last home game by 34, and then they go out and win, or 32, and they go out and win and beat Seattle by 34. So I kind of throw my hands up. I probably I, – I just – I can't – Put it this way, I'm either betting the Ravens or I'm not touching the game. I just can't bring myself uh, to bet the Browns. I know it's a divisional game, and anytime two division teams play, it's not much of an upset if the underdog wins because they're so used to playing these teams. But, man, the Ravens are just on a roll right now. Lamar Jackson, a front runner for the MVP. I ain't stepping in front of that Ravens train right now. But we still have a lot to talk about in the next couple of days in regards to the NFL and college picks obviously your picks are coming on friday so stay tuned for that thank you all for listening really appreciate it please follow me on apple Podcasts. also rate and review if you can pass it along to your friends let them know about it got some good information that i like to pass along every podcast hope you enjoy that so thank you all for listening really appreciate it and i will talk to you tomorrow